0: Welcome to Live Arts Market Pulse on the Artelligence podcast. Each week, Live Arts sales team discusses the most important subjects in the ever-changing art marketplace. I'm your host, Marion Maniker. Welcome to another Live Art Market Pulse. I've got George O'Dell, Sophie Coco, and Arena Novak, Live Art's crack sales team with me. And today we're going to talk about a few things. I thought we'd start with people's impressions of the Paul Allen Collection, which is just on view here in New York at Christie's. And then... Uh, Arena and I have recently seen the Alex Katz show at the Guggenheim and I know that George has some thoughts about the Alex Katz market over the last few years and even leading up to the sales um, currently coming up. And so if we have time after that, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Boetti Market, where there's some activity taking place, and that should cover us for this week's Market Pulse. So to get started, Sophie, Arena, I know you both saw the uh, Paul Allen collection. Can you give us your sort of thoughts, point of view?
1: Sure. Uh, We saw it last evening. Um, And I mean... Just the depth of his collecting is incredible, which I think everybody has touched on um, thus far. But what really struck me was his interest in artists that I was completely unfamiliar with. And, you know, from talking to other people that were in the space at the same time as us, you know, some artist names that nobody had come in contact with or hadn't talked about in a long time. Like um, we talked about Mildred Thompson. Thompson for a long time, Marion and I, while well, we were standing in front of her painting and um Alden Mason. And then just spread throughout, especially part two, there were just interesting finds after interesting finds and really just showing that Alan was a collector who, you know, as Christy's is marketing, had a vision, but also just clearly knew that he had an eye and he collected what he loved. And to see that he also collected artists that were from Seattle. So, you know, staying close to home. Um, and I, I just, truly enjoyed kind of coming around every corner and finding the unexpected. Um, And I think that will entice buyers and it it makes for a fun experience, especially at an auction to just see, you never know what the next lot is going to be from a tiny Picasso to an unknown artist. I mean, it's great. I I had the most fun just viewing it and I can't wait to see what it does when it actually comes up on November 9th.
0: It's worth pointing out high quality work by an unknown artist. I think what was so striking about about those Uh, the Alden Mason uh, painting especially, was without a card or any background information, it it was a very strong uh, painting. And it shows, you know, the care with which the collection was put together. I mean, uh, I think the revelation is that he collected in depth, not just that he had a lot of trophies and he had a lot of trophies, but that, you know, around those trophies, there were other works by either the related artist or uh, other related works Enhance some of those. Uh, so, you know, you, you and I were looking at some of the Thomas Hart Benton paintings. Uh, his Pollux don't really fit in the Thomas Hart Benton uh, uh, mold, but you know having the two of them together uh, is an interesting uh, combination. And then there were just you know on the landscape element, there were many different um, takes on landscapes. Uh, You know David Hockney has uh, uh, multiple works in the uh, collection of all different uh, uh, types. I mean I think that was part of the revelation uh, there is that you know he was he was uh, looking at lots of different aspects of. Any of these uh, artists arena, your, your thoughts, you saw it uh, yesterday too.
2: Yes, it was truly impressive. Um, You know, seeing all those, uh, his collection come and play like that at Christie's. And again, it's more than 150 works and an estimate is, you know, $1 billion. So I'm excited to see how it will play out. Very excited.
0: So speaking of estimates, George, you know, A billion dollar collection with works uh, uh, that are expected to sell at least three in the hundred million range and several more in the, you know, 40 to 60 million dollar range. Does that suck all the air out of the season or does it pull interest in, you know, what's the conventional wisdom?
3: So I'm I'm sort of turning that over in my mind. Well, first, my takeaway was this might be the, the sale with the most estimates on request ever produced. Um, it's you know, obviously in part one, and then I love in part two that there's you know small tansy drawings and the three thousand dollar Nowman at the back, you yeah, know just like a little something for everyone. There's a lot. There's a lot that matches my taste, maybe not my budget, but um, in terms, I think we saw with MacLow, You know that's a different scale of property offering, and obviously they split it up over a couple seasons that you could have a ton of masterworks on display at the same time and still generate good interest across the board and get sales done. I'm sure there will be elements where things are set and you know some guarantors that are going to end up with some things. And I think they'll manage that sale correctly um, using all the tools that, that they have at their disposal. You know, I think it will draw some excitement. The, the other question I was toying with is that a lot of this property was acquired at auction at some point. So we've now taken a bidder. He's not been active for a number of years, obviously, because he sadly passed away, but you've taken a bit. there's a bidder off the board and there's an estate off the board, right? So now it's back with someone that would have been on the call list for some of this property. So that, oh, that's one of the questions I've, I've been toying with in my mind here.
0: No, he was definitely on the call list for many years. When you speak to the specialists, uh, they're, they're very clear about that. And I think the other issue is there are a couple of works that were bought as recently as 2018. You know, the the Diego Rivera is from the Rockefeller sale. There's a uh, Max Ernst that was bought fairly recently, uh, and I think you know when works come back too quickly, that's always an issue, especially since one of the bidders is is obviously uh, been taken out. Uh, I I think you know it. The estimates are surprisingly when you go through them and look at the comparables or look at um, uh, the recent performance when they were bought. The estimates are not very aggressive, even though there's this enormous price tag on the whole uh, of the sale. And and I guess the final comment, George, is you know th- we're led to believe by all of the art advisors out there who are saying they're you know they know of works that. Uh, 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 Allen acquired that aren't in this sale that they have effectively split up the collection. I don't know whether that means, you know, uh, his, uh, heir is planning another sale or planning to keep the, the, the art, but this certainly isn't the entirety of what, um, Paul Allen uh, acquired over the 26 years that he was active.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's, that'll be, that'll be what comes next, I guess. It's, it's there, is there around two or three, um, what will what will the quality in that look like? You know, TBD. But I think, you know, the the breadth of the sale and both in terms of dates, you know, across various movements and also mediums, I think is just really, really, really impressive, is the takeaway. You know, not just not just collecting masterpieces. If that was the tagline of of MacLo, like all masterpieces only, right? Was that kind of like the yeah. idea of that collection? You know, this this is really superb, some masterpieces to be sure but just superb examples across the board at uh, like all sorts of value levels and date ranges.
0: Well, it also makes it hard for them to um, manage the sale because there's a lot more people to call because it's across so many different categories. And the the, the likely buyer for the South African landscapes is probably not necessarily the same buyer as the Hockney landscapes. Uh, and so they're going to have to work to get in touch with all of the potential uh, uh, buyers in those
3: However, however, data can show you that one person that you might only be looking at the person now might also be perusing the Calders. So <laughs> if you have that data, then you then you know what you're looking at.
0: Well, and that's the importance of of having these live uh, showings, right, is to be able to have those conversations and walk people through. And while you're walking them through, show them something that they may not have seen before, like like an Alden Mason. Totally. So. uh that's going to get plenty of attention next week during the sale what's getting a lot of attention right now is the alex katz show at the guggenheim Uh, arena you were there early how about you give us your impressions
2: sure um alex katz um, has been painting for 77 years so there's a lot of packed into that retrospective from his very early works to um you know his um very uh, recent ones. And obviously, it's a very long career. However, prices for cats have been historically low in contrast with his contemporaries and other figurative blue chip artists. Um, and we all know that story of how Katz came of age at the height of abstract expressionism, pop art and minimalism. But there were still some figurative artists out there like David Hockney, Cats um, contemporary, whose market has been hot for quite some time with collectors seeking his swimming pools, landscapes and portraits. And Hockney famously secured $90 million result back in 2018 at Christie's. On the other hand, Alex Katz, Um, Highest result to date is only $4.1 million from 2019, uh, which is to me quite undervalued compared to Hockney. Um, However, it looks like the market is finally warming up to his extensive body of work with more and more pieces coming up at November auctions this season. Um, And I believe um, it is four or five, correct me if I'm wrong, pieces in total at Philips. And I think there is one portrait at Sotheby's and one at Christie's um, that are coming up for sale. Yeah. There's
3: a couple, but I think there's only two that are north of a million dollars that really would be kind of bellwether pieces if they if they sell super strong. There's the parrot jungle and then the couple which I both believe are from the 80s.
2: Yes, and even though he has more works at auctions now, um, he's still not close to hitting the status of a hype artist yet, which is um, a good sign since there's a steady growth potential. Um, And I would say um, if we can classify it as hype, the period that is the most attractive to collectors and to the market as general is the works from 1970s, even tapping into the 80s, which is arguably the prime period for cats. Um, and with some of the top sales, like in 2018, one of the 1970s works scored 9- 950,000, I believe, at South And ever since, the sales above 1 million have become rather common, um, with four highest results um, being um, in the area of um, a million. And again, it's all works from the 1970s. And overall, I think it's—I um, think Marion, you mentioned um, it's ten works that cross the one million benchmark publicly, but obviously there is more um, privately. And I'm sure as more and more collectors are looking into cats market, the prices will be going up, and there will be there will be more exciting results. Happening. Cat. Cats has always
0: been the uh, artist who is about to break, you know, out on the market and never did. I mean, that that first blue umbrella making, you know, six hundred and sixty thousand dollars twenty years ago was supposed to break open the dam, and and it never happened. And then, you know, the the actual smaller version of the painting making the four point one million. Uh, Kind of remade that, uh, you know, effort, and it 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 it's hard to tell. If you look at the charts that we put on Twitter and we'll put on the web uh, soon, it is clear that his market is going up, and there are many more uh, works selling at uh, different price points uh, on the spectrum, all the way up to the multi million dollar mark. Part of the issue is when they come up at auction, as the ones in the spring did in anticipation of the show, they sell, you know, near the estimate, but they don't break out to huge multiples, in part because the price, you know, the estimates are in the million, two million dollar range. So it has less of an impact. Nevertheless... You know, you you make an excellent point. There, it's a big, big distance between his four million and the you know, forget ninety million, but you know, even uh, eight figures for uh, works. And I'm curious, uh, Sophie and George, after seeing the show, do you have a you know, sometimes retrospectives are great for that. Like you can kind of see the the really interesting artworks and then the interesting you know saleable works and and i felt like in this show he's a fascinating artist but it's very clear the prettiest most striking pictures come from that 70s early 80s period and it's not an accident that that's where the um, strong market numbers are coming from
3: you know i what i think one thing i i'm surprised about is you know the group the group paintings which feel less personal like less individual, like, you know, I think cats can trend a little bit towards like Alice Neal, where the sitter is is an actual person. And it's like, do I know this person? How, what they, how do they relate to me? Whereas, one, you know, one of the seventies kind of group portraits is, is a little bit more anonymous. And I, I would almost have thought that one of those might've shaken out at this moment with the, uh, with the retrospective on, and that would have been a really groundbreaking painting to see sell, you know, something that could break the umbrella sale. Um, I don't know. It's I think uh, cats cats is it's going to be a funny market just because it is so personal to him in his life that it it may only ever get so high because of that is my is my kind of takeaway.
2: Something that I find also interesting as a pattern that there are so many variations of prints and multiples that go up for sale, which serve. Again, it's a very important component to his market and to his practice as even as the retrospective shows um, he was, you know, he pays a lot of attention to the printmaking. Um, I even counted just for the fun of it. For example, just this year, um, around 106 of prints and multiples went up for sale compared to just 29 paintings. So there is just so many chances uh, for cats to break out um but again i will be playing paying close attention to the sales that are coming up in november I, I think it's also
0: interesting Katz owns a lot of his own work in fact he gave a lot of it to um uh, the museum at colby college in maine uh so they hold a lot of his especially er- early work and as you see in the retrospective a lot of the work comes from uh him Do you think there's even an issue, George, with there just not being enough work in hands for there to be, you know, an active uh, or growing market? I mean, this seems hard to believe. He painted a lot and he was a popular artist.
3: I don't think so. I think that just it's a market where people can be choosy. I'm, I'm thinking specifically the painting, one of the paintings at Phillips was definitely on the market prior to going to Phillips. And one of the paintings at Christie's was definitely did a couple of rounds of fairs before it landed at Christie's. So, you know, I'm not going call to call out names here, but the, it's a choosy market, right? Some people right. want flowers, right? Some people want sitters of a... You know, they want a Vincent or an Ada, which is... I mean, Ada is typically the most in-demand sitter. So, that's why I think Parrot Jungle will be the star painting at Sotheby's in terms of cat's offerings of the, of the week. You know, the Three Great Dresses is sort of beautiful anonymous ladies, but will these three multi figures scale? How will that do vis-a-vis like a party scene if that were on the market? Going back to what I said earlier, um, I just think cats is one of those markets within markets. You've got because of the way he works, right? He starts with a work on paper, and then he moves to a work on panel. They're always kind of the same size, and then he scales up to the canvas, and it's all done in a day. So you can create a paper market, you can create a panel market, and you can create a you can create a painting market. I know that I sold the blue umbrella on panel very quickly after. The one that Philips sold um, a few years ago and came out of the uh, dealer who had owned it since he had bought it from cats and it, it shook loose quickly after that sale. So there you know, I think there are markets and that, and somebody who wanted panel works bought it. So it's, there's, there are markets within markets. There,
0: you know, actually, I do have one question related to you know cats and figurative uh, painters. Whatever happened to Philip Pearlstein? Uh, it, it sort of feels like if if cats is having this major moment in the market, thing you know is 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 are we going to see Philip Pearlstein again, or is that uh...
3: are we going to see Richard Phillips again? Are we going to see? You yeah, know, there's all these kind of hyper real figurative painters, but I think they've all kind of gone the Robert Bechtel route, right? Like this we talked about in the former podcast. You know, but there can only ever be so many generational artists, right? And you have to build a canon. And I think, you know, there's a there's a easy line between camera obscura work and painting things around you. And I say this not just because I did an exhibition about it a few years ago, but like you can you can really go Hockney, Neil, Katz, Jonas Wood. Henry Taylor in whatever's happening today, right? There's a very easy linear, I'm going to paint what's right in front of me. And it doesn't have to be in a photorealist style. It can be in a kind of loose hand, not naive, because all these painters are very classically trained, but in a kind of looser, looser format. And I and I think there is a strong lineage there. And and some of these other painters don't have that kind of mass appeal in that regard. Or there are other names, there's too many names in that field. There's too many. People who can just paint the human figure pretty lifelike to make any one of those stand out super strong. Uh,
0: it, it's interesting. I, I can't remember if this uh, retrospective is delayed by the pandemic, but that this you know great figurative pa- painter of an earlier generation somewhat overshadowed by all these other movements should come to the fore just as we're beginning to see almost the the transition from an era of figuration with the beginnings of interest in abstraction again
3: I feel like we've been talking about the Alex Katz retrospective at the Guggenheim like longer than we've been talking about the Majerus exhibition at the ICA in Miami like or the Barbara and the Barbara Kruger one was delayed at Chicago but similar like it it had it was coming forever
0: and and now it's arrived and we're we're like, hey, that was great. Let's move on. You yeah, know,
3: it was great. You know, you you fully appreciate the artist body of work. You know, this is a market-oriented podcast. I don't know that it did anything to really like turn the dial to where it already was. So and I don't I don't know that the Guggenheim shows going to for cats is going to do much different, to be honest.
0: No, I, I guess that's what we're all saying is the '70s works and the '80s stuff stand out as being the kinds of things uh, that the market would like, and that's happening both before and now, you know, after the opening. But it doesn't look like there's, you know, going to be some big dramatic upward uh, change. That already took place, uh, uh, you know, in 2019 with the sale of the, the blue umbrella, the smaller one. Agreed. Speaking of um, artists who are sort of always there uh, but come and go, you, you want to talk a little bit about uh, Alghero Boetti. Uh, there's a big mappa coming up at Sotheby's, very large uh, work, uh, and it will, you know if it sells, sell for a record uh, of at least 8 million.
3: My my understanding is, and I'm sure one of my former colleagues will correct me when I see them later in the week, uh, it's either the biggest or one of two of the biggest. You know, it is a, in a rarefied scale. Um, I happened to get a preview glance of it when I was in Paris. It is amazing. I love the MAPAs because they were made in a point of such geopolitical turmoil that the countries within the maps are constantly changing. So. You know, an early one and a late one. You know, just because the oceans are different colors doesn't mean that's the only different variation to them. Um, they're really, I mean, they're really clever works, and you know, very a different kind of appropriation because obviously they were made by Kurdish women with minimal instruction from Boetti himself. So this current idea of like the the artist and the maker being two separate entities. Um, you no, know, Boetti's, Boetti's a funny one. It's, it's kind of like the stalwart of the Italian sales. And then there was a dip. And then all of a sudden, his name was kind of on the lips of a lot of people hunting for Boetti, looking for Boetti. And it wasn't just the woven pieces like the mappas or the tutos, but all of a sudden, uh, the aeroplanes were becoming popular and the little cinque cinque tapestries that kind of sold for. 20 grand at a first open sale in South Kensington are, are commanding 65 dollars You dollars know? So we've seen this, not overnight, but like very quiet escalation of Boetti. And now Boetti went from being an artist that some pretty prominent collections were looking at with regularity and maybe bidding on when during my tenure at Sotheby's and then all of a sudden lots of people both market-oriented and collectors of different stripes saying, Hey, what do you think of Boetti and coming back in? No, I don't think it's an all ships rise kind of scenario. You know, we have seen big prices out of Paris for some of the Byros, but I still think those have a limited audience to them. I think some of the other kind of more collage pieces haven't quite found their footing, but certainly, you know, airplanes, chinque chinques, other tapestries, tutos, and then the maps all have seem to have escalated very quickly in the past year and a half.
0: Uh, are the buyers European are they global I'd say mostly
3: European from where I sit and if not European by by geographical country then definitely european leaning so people who have spent a significant amount of time on the continent or around continentals and are kind of drank the kool-aid on this. Hmm
0: but you you don't have a good sense of what you think might be driving this uh, it, it, there was a big rep
3: feels bigger than dealers it feels bigger than just a couple of dealers like it actually feels like a true a true rediscovery of hey this seems cheap.
0: Well, and these are, you know, the there was the pink mappa that sold in Paris for about 5 million, which was a a, a record price until this next one uh, uh sells. So it's like it's happening in plain sight and those aren't necessarily the kind of prices you expect a, you know, a dealer to be buying these uh, uh works for. Uh and, you know, what's interesting about this is he had his own moment did a retrospective I think around 2010, 2020 12 something around the there and then there's you know was it, their own sort of rise in prices uh related to that or that, that was sort of the most recent one before uh now but that that at least is like retrospective uh, uh sales uh you you know what's driving it this seems more it's this
3: feels more broad-based and more fluid than say like fontana you roll out a great Fontana that nobody's seen before, lovely, lovely slashes or holes, and people go kind of crazy for it, right? But that, I don't think that moves to like mid 70s single slash Fontana market by any stretch of the imagination. Like those remain kind of static. This seems more dipping down into the lower markets and pulling lots of stuff up with it. You know, I think if you had another, you know, Fontana egg come up, like in the public market, I don't know that it would change that market extensively. I think you, a nice price for it. But here, I think you book book a good price for a MAPA and all of a sudden you've got heavy trading, heavy bidding on the rest of the Boetties you have in the day sale.
0: All right. I uh, I suppose we have a few days left to rest up before uh, the big run up to uh, November, the Allen sales next week, and uh, there'll be lots of viewing of evening and day sales. Does anyone before we go have anything they're particularly keeping their eye on or looking out for? I'm watching
1: this Alden Mason like a hawk after we marion got me obsessed with him last night but we've already touched on him but um
0: well talk 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 a little bit more about him because it's just worth giving him a commercial here's a c he taught in seattle and had a long career it was represented well uh, and certainly you know has a decent market just in smaller auction houses not in the big three auction uh houses so he's he's not not such an obscure artist he's just not as easy to map
1: yeah definitely not not obscure um he was represented by alan stone so he definitely has you know some collectors out there who know who he is probably have some great works spread across collectors um he has representation in seattle currently um but you know the piece we saw last night just has some wall power that you don't see very often when you're just not expecting it. It's rather large. Um, the way that he stained the canvas and the layering effect that he was able to produce really, you know, we were also very close to the canvas. It's in one of those hallways. Um, but it, it was something that really like just captured you and kind of dragged you in um, about the work. And yeah, to your point, Marin, he hasn't had much activity at the big three auction houses, but you know, his auction record is about 150,000 um, at a smaller house. The estimate on this painting is six, to 8,000. So, um, you know, I, I think there's probably a lot of people watching it. I, I expected to go overestimate. Um, it would be a lovely catch for six to eight. I mean, you're just getting a lot of canvas there, but, uh, yeah, I just had a lot of fun looking at it. And it's, I, I love those, you know, preview discoveries where you just stumble upon something and then you get to do a little bit of a deep dive, what it's all about. I'm
3: quite curious about, um, in Sotheby's now sale. The, in particular, the von Heil and the Humphreys, the kind of first big offerings for those two artists. Um, personal fan of both of them. They've got some other interesting names in there, like Julian de and the Peyton's Beautiful, but like the von Heil and the Humphreys with the Venice Biennale, both of these being textbook examples of what's their most popular body of work, I think that's that's going to be interesting to see like where where those get set to. Um, the 90s Olin they've got as well, that's just like a personal fan favorite of mine. I think it's an excellent painting. Um, also curious in the, on the same kind of young side of the market what Philips does best, those first five lots in the Philips evening sale. Yeah, there's kind of like some stories that have been told, some very new stories mixed in there. So, you know, those are, those are kind of what's got my attention going alongside the, the bigger ticket items.
0: Cool. All right. Well, next week we will do a deep dive into the day sales because that's where our bread and butter is made. So we will have a long conversation. Uh, about those works. Until then, George, Sophie, Arena, thanks for your time.
3: Pleasure as always. See you in the street.
0: Thank you for joining us for Live Art's Market Pulse. The Artelligence podcast is edited by Colin Ketchum, who also composed the original music. Come back next week. And don't forget to download the Live Art app or visit us at liveart.io.